Lord, we thank you today for your presence in this place. We thank you. What a joy it is to gather together, to be together, to sense the nearness of your presence, to feel the wrapping of your love around us that we can never be separated from. There's no life event, no circumstance, no situation that can ever cut us from this wonderful love. We give you praise for it this morning. And as your people here today, Jesus, from the bottom of our hearts, we just want to say we love you. We love you. Our allegiance is to you. We love you, Lord, for everything you've done, for everything that you are doing, and for everything you will do. Because whilst the kingdoms of this world are shaking, we thank you we are receiving a kingdom that cannot <clears throat> be shaken. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come on earth just as it is in heaven. This is how you've told us to pray. And Lord, we thank you. That's what we put our confidence, our faith, and our mind in. The unchanging, wonderful promises of God. We thank you for it. Now I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my God and my Redeemer, and Lord, if they are found acceptable in your sight, I pray that the hearts of your people would be open to receive the word that you speak through me, that it would be implanted into their hearts, not the word of man, but the word of God, that it would bring forth a great harvest as it's energized by the life and the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would be in our world everything that you have called us to be, that it would amaze us, that we would rise into everything that you have destined us to rise into. We thank you for the time in which we live. You've called us and purposed us and positioned us to live in this time. Lord, we do not wish to live in another time. We give you praise for every single day that you put breath into our body to live and walk on the face of this earth in the highways and byways of life, in our workplaces, in our homes, out just doing the, the mundane aspects of life, Lord, you've called us, you've positioned us to meet people and to share this glorious news of your death and your resurrection and your soon to return to this earth. We thank you. We thank you for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and your commission to each and every one of us to diffuse it and to dispense it in power, in the power of new life. We thank you for it. All God's people said.
Amen. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Wonderful. Well, we had a great weekend last weekend. It was my birthday. We went to London. Woohoo! We love London, and um, it was just—it was just a great weekend. And what a weekend you guys had, Tabo! Isn't that great? Wasn't Tabo fantastic? I was so blessed, you know, when I listened to Tabo, and um, you know just how he spoke about the love of God. And um, how he was so caring, so authoritative, but also pastoral, loving his heart, just sharing from his own personal experience, but also substance. The substance of God's Word was in him. So I'm sure we're going to be hearing from Tarbo again. What a, what a great blessing. And it's great, you know, just to, just to see the voices that God is raising up in this house it really is to hear, you know, the, the, the gifts and to see the callings of people released. It's, it's a wonderful thing as a pastor to see that. It really is. Well, today we're continuing in the series of messages that we started at the beginning of the year, the power of promise. And we've come to our last point of promise today, a promise for power. And we're probably going to be staying on this one point, a promise for power for the next few weeks anyway, because the power of God is what God has promised to each and every one of us. The power of His Holy Spirit, He wants each and every one of us to have so that we can reach our world so that we can be effective in our world to reach people around us. Life is very exciting with Jesus. It's very exciting to get up out of bed every day with an expectation in your heart to meet the world that you're going to come into contact with, with an expectation for them to receive the wonderful news that you have packed and loaded inside you. When it's unleashed in the power of the Holy Ghost, anything can happen. It really can. It's absolutely wonderful. Now, this is a little advert for a Monday night. Hallelujah. Tony, where's Tony? I saw Tony here this morning. Tony Davis here, or is he up with the youth? That's Jason. <laughs> Tony's with the youth. Tony leads our outreach team. Every Monday night, we go up into the center of Newport or where the Lord calls us. We've been to Ponty, Ponty Pool, the promised land. We've had, we've had wonderful success in Ponty Pool. We've been, we've been to, um, to Cumbran. Had tremendous success there. Absolutely fantastic. But usually, we're in and around Newport, Right? And you know, I hear some people say, I never see anybody saved. I, I, I never, it, the, the world's falling apart. Nobody ever gets born again. Well, do you ever tell anybody about Jesus? Do you ever, do you ever tell anybody about Jesus? You know, we see people born again every Monday night. And I'm sure many of you see, see people born again in your workplace and where you are out in the world because you actually tell them about him. 
You know, I hear some people say, well, people don't get healed down the King's Church anymore. Well, my question is, do you ever put your hand out? Do you ever extend it to put it on their head to heal them? We see people healed on the street, right out there, where it, where it, where it matters most, where the light needs to shine. You know, if you want to see people healed, well, go ahead and pray for them. They'll get healed. That's what the Bible says. Jesus said, lay hands on the sick. And he didn't say they might recover. You know, a 50-50 chance in it. Go on, give it a shot. He said they will recover. They will recover. And that's his job to cause that to come into being. But lay the hand. If you want to see people healed, lay the hand. If people talk to you and they, you know, they, they, they complain about the struggle of life that they're going through, then let your heart be moved with compassion. Reach out to them. Pray for them at least. Encourage them. Give them a hope to believe in. This is our mission. This is our commission. This is our purpose. And I'm telling you something now, when you engage with it, life is an adventure. Life is exciting. Remember, I was thinking about it this morning, just in preparation for this, this message. I remember being in Merthyr Tidville at Troy Drew Shops, of all places, on a Monday night. It was a Monday night. It was raining. It was, I mean, Troy Drew, of all places. It's the, it's the armpit of South Wales, I tell you, right? We were in Troy Drew, and I was like, I must have been probably about 18, 19 years of age, right? So this doesn't come down to experience, friends. It doesn't come down to whether you've got a, you know, you, you've been to Bible school or you've got a theological de degree. That matters squat to God. God responds to faith and obedience, right? This guy comes in swearing, cursing. I don't believe in Jesus and all this and the way, you know, the way they go, ranting off and we just kept loving him. And then, and then I said, I said, you know, look, have you got any needs? Do, do you need Jesus to help you in any way? Well, have you got any problems he, he, he could solve? You know, you're talking about really a, a real young raw recruit in myself, not knowing really what to do or what to say. But all, all I could say was, have you got any needs he could meet? You know, he, he does that. He, he's met my needs. Have you got it? He said, well, I can't drive. I said, right. Why can't you drive? He said, well, I can't apply for my license. Well, why can't you apply for your license? He said, well, he said, I, he said, I have violent epileptic seizures. He said, he said, they've said to me, I'll never be able to take my driving test. I said, well, well let's give it a try then. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, I'm going to pray for you right now. I'm going to put my hand on your head, and we're just going to simply ask Jesus to take it away. All right, he said. I'll give it a go. And I said, well, I was up to give it a go. And I kid you not, the prayer, the prayer was as basic and as stupid in its, in its sounding as this. Jesus, please take this epilepsy away from him. Amen. It was as raw and as stupid 
And as insulting as that, that was it. The night was over. Thank God the, the one-night mission to Droydru came to an end. Hallelujah. And we moved on to Ebervale. 18 months later, I saw the young man. He comes up to us. Guess what? Whoa. I passed my driving test. What do you mean you passed your driving test? Well, you know, you know when you said, Jesus, take that epilepsy away. Yeah. Well, he took it away. And he said, he, he, now, this is, hey, listen, this is the wild thing. The guy did, to my knowledge, the guy didn't even ask Jesus into his heart. He didn't go to a church. Jesus just healed him and sent him on his way. Now, that's how exciting it is following Jesus, going into the world, not knowing what you're going to meet, not knowing what you're going to face, but going confidently, not in your own strength, but packed with the power of the Holy Ghost, not glowing or shaking or uh, unable to speak. No, confidently holding the power and the presence of God in your life to pray, to lay a hand, to talk with life and purpose and hope in the world. Not of it, but in it. In it. I love going to the pub with the boys on a Thursday night. What are you having tonight? Die. They're standing at the bar. Oh, I'm on the hard stuff tonight, boys. I'm on the hard stuff. What are you having? Diet Coke, please. And a scotch egg. I love the scotch egg down the bush. It's absolutely fantastic. Scotch egg, please, boys. And you know what? Just sit there. Don't have to say anything. Light doesn't have to say anything. Doesn't have to say anything. Just be a witness. Love. Accept. Embrace. It's all we need to be. I tell you, it's exciting. It's exciting to live for Christ. You just don't know how life is going to unfold and what he's going to do next. We were in a conversation. Um, it, it's got to be, I think it was during lockdown, when we shouldn't have been out witnessing. <laughs> we were in Pontypool, and um, we were talking to this young man. And uh, Dale and myself started talking to him, and man, he was, he was just into some stuff. Such a fine young man. And I still have contact with him to this day. But such a fine young man, but caught in the web of this world, caught and held by another power. And you know, it ended up, we were talking to that young man for two hours. And all, all six of us in the end were just talking to him, trying to encourage him, trying to bring him in to God's kingdom, trying to get him off that road of destruction that he was on. We're trying to pull him. And, and for, for every reason we gave him, he came with a counter-argument. Countered this, countered that. And it was, as, it was as if we could make no headway with him. Do you know what? I thought, scrap this. 
openly and out loud. I said, Jesus, I need a word of knowledge right now. I don't care now. Scrap it. Scrap it. Jesus, I need a word of knowledge right now to know what the root of this is. Do you know what? Instantaneously, my eyes were opened to see what was hidden behind the layers. See, there's layers, layers of argument, layers of hurt and, and, and oppression and fear. But once you get through to the heart and you see the root, you can deal with it. And he showed me. He said, he said all of this, he said, all of this is growing from never being loved by his father. Young man, young man, all alone from Bristol, ended up in Pontypool, going up in life. I said, son, I said, stop all this a minute now. I said, I said, do you know what all this is about? I said, I'll tell you right now. I'll tell you right now. I said, you've never been loved by your dad. I said, so that is why you're on the course that you're on. And you're coming up with all of the objections and all of the contentions that you're, that you're keeping us back with. Immediately, his eyes are filling up, hit a chord. And then Jason said to him, he said, son, he said, is that right? He said, has your dad ever told you he loves you? Didn't you, Jace? Has your dad ever told you that he, that he loves you? No, he said. Now, that young man's on a journey. Two years on from there, he texts me, maybe once every eight months, and I just text back. He's on a journey. And we're praying for him. The amount of times that Jason moves in the word. I've seen Jason move in the word of knowledge, right? See, you might, you may not, Jason may not come up here and say, there's somebody here that is asking for a hair transplant. Well, that would be me, Jason. <laughs> They've got a very wide center part in that needs to be filled. That would apply to me. I mean, probably most of the men could stand up. Right Now, I've seen him move in words of knowledge out on the street. Powerful, man. And just in a, not, 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 you know, not this big deal either, just brings it in, feeds it into a conversation. And I tell you now, it's, it's so exciting to see the gifts of the Spirit operate where they should be operating. Out there in the highways and the byways. Earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Earnestly desire. Start to crave them. Start to be passionate for them. And, and you'll find, I, I mean, it'll just start to operate through you. Earnestly desire spiritual gifts. This is for all of us. This is not for any one person in particular. This is for all of us. And it's so exciting because it demolishes arguments. It demolishes all of the, all of the layers of rejection. And it gets right to the heart of the matter so that people can receive the good news of Jesus. Amen. So tomorrow night, don't know if you're free, but if you'd like to, 
talk to people that are far away from God, without hope, without God in this world, then come along to the hub, 7.30 or 7 o'clock, and uh, we give out Bibles. Some people we spend a lot of time with. Other people, they just pass on by. Other people, they tell you where to go. It's good to be rejected. It's important. It's an important part. That's why the laborers are few, because lots of people don't like to get rejected. But it's important to be rejected by people so that you can really fortify your convictions and know what you believe and why you believe it. So it's really good. So all aspects, whether we're received or whether we're rejected, and Jesus was both received and rejected. It's, it's a necessary experience in this journey as we reach to bring in this harvest. Now, that was just the introduction. <laughs> Hallelujah. But we'll go as far as we can this morning. We've got the weeks ahead of us to continue. Anyway, God has promised that we will receive power. Power to be witnesses for him in our world. He's not going to fail in his promise. Let me tell you that. He's not going to give somebody 10%, 50%, 100% if you've been a good boy. No. He's going to fulfill his promise to the full, to the full, so that we can be witnesses for him in the world in which we live. Now, in a moment, we're going to turn to the book of Acts to read about this promise of power that Jesus gave to his disciples and followers. And much of this morning, I just want to set out just a backdrop or a background for us to see some of the huge challenges that faced such a small group of people that Jesus had called to begin his church, to be at the core and at the heart of his church. The people that he chose weren't exceptionally skilled. They were considered very unlearned, common people, the base things of the earth. This group, this small group that Jesus had selected had very checkered backgrounds from violent insurrectionists to fraudulent tax collectors to former prostitutes onto purebred religious adherents to doctors and the list went on and on and on, right down to your middle-of-the-road Joe, who was just plodding along in life. There was a checkered group of people, a beautiful mix of individuals that God had chose right at the inception to be at the heart of this church that he was going to build. These believers, no doubt, were weak and fearful 
Yet Jesus did not address their weaknesses, but he focused on the promise of power that they were to receive. The Holy Spirit's power was going to be more than a match for every fear and every secure insecurity that they held in their heart. In fact, Jesus was so confident about the enabling power of the Holy Spirit that these men and women were going to be filled with that his vision for their work extended to the ends of the earth. The world that f- surrounded them was fierce, brutal, and harsh. But one thing they all had in common was a love for Jesus in their hearts. And they wanted to use every remaining day of their lives to serve him, to bring in his kingdom, to reach the world around them, not to play games And not just to to aimlessly walk through life. They had discovered the secret and the meaning for their existence. And they wanted to use every waking hour and every waking moment to obey what he had spoken to them. Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, tells us, that Jesus, after he had risen from the dead, met with his disciples and followers over a 40-day period. And throughout this time, (laughs) he taught them about the kingdom of God in amidst a world that was filled with kingdoms that were falling, empires that were rising. Jesus did not focus on all of that around him. Jesus focused on the kingdom of God, and he taught his disciples and followers for 40 days about that kingdom. And he gave them many infallible proofs that it was him that had risen from the dead. During this time, during this time, he promised them that they would receive power. The power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses of him in their world. Let me read it to you. Just a number of verses that refer to this from Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Verse 5, and then we'll just skip on to verse 8. Jesus speaking. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. He said, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Oh, my God. They did not know what was going to hit them, I'm sure. Verse 8. But you shall, he said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. And then he went ahead and said this just on the end. I love it. Tagged it on and to the ends of the earth. 
I'm sure these local people had a very small idea about their world. I'm sure that they hadn't traveled much. I'm sure that they, they, they certainly didn't think of ever going possibly beyond their own locality. But Jesus said, when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when he fills you, anything is possible. He's going to break the boundaries. He's going to break the borders. He's going to break the limitations of how you think. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and he fills you, it doesn't matter what restrictions you're, you're, you, you face, what, what's ahead of you, you're just going to move on through with them to get to the world that's waiting to meet you. And it could, your borders could extend beyond the places that you live. Your borders could extend beyond the geographical boundaries that you have known. You could actually go. You people, under the sound of my voice, could actually go to the ends of the earth. And those 12 apostles did. They went to the ends of the earth. They went to the north, the south, the east, and the west. And they shed their blood as seeds of martyrs through the power of the Holy Ghost, striving to bring in the kingdom of God into their world and set up God's work throughout the world. I think they were faithful in their generation. And there's a call for each and every one of us. We, we want to be faithful in ours, don't we? We want to be faithful in ours when, when we stand before Jesus on that day. I don't want, I don't want to stand before Jesus and, and Jesus say to me, well, well, what do we have here? What do we have here? I want Jesus to say to Dave Edwards, and I'm sure you want him to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Now enter into the joy of the Lord. I don't want him saying to me, well, what do we have here? And neither do you. We live in a world and a culture a Western culture that's full of consumerism, that magnifies self as an idol and diminishes the things of God. It's time for the people of God to rise up, to rise up and not go on a street corner and start screaming at people. Rise up, like Tabo said, in the love of God and just dispense it. Encourage people. Love people. Do your good works before them. Bless them. And be a witness of his goodness and of his grace and of his resurrection life. Hallelujah. As he is, so are we in this world. Amen. If any of them had questions prior to these words spoken by Jesus as to how they were going to complete this incredible commission of going to the ends of the earth, the answers lay here in the person of the Holy Spirit. These words of promise were the last words that Jesus spoke to those who he had been with for 40 days. That would signify to me that they were very important. Right at the last moment, 
before ascend into heaven, Jesus gave them this clear and direct command for them to stay in Jerusalem and not depart from there. And then, after saying these words, he was caught up before their very eyes and taken out of their sight as he went into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. Luke, in Acts 1 verse 9, simply puts it like this. Now, when he had spoken these things, the things that we have just read, now, when Jesus had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. This closing, final command to wait in Jerusalem was not open for discussion or up for debate. Before anyone could raise any kind of objection or counter-argument, after hearing his final words, Jesus was taken up before their very eyes, and the conversation came to an end. He was gone, and they now were left with a decision. He was removed from their sight. They saw him leave. Conversation over. Now, they had to decide what they were going to do with the words that he had spoken to them, the direction that he had given them. Very often it can be like that with, with us. I found it to be like that with my life anyway. God, through his word, gives me implicit direction about my life. And with that direction, I want to have a discussion because very often that direction cuts across what I want to do. It cuts across the way I think. It cuts across my, my, my selfish desires and all of the thoughts that I hold within my mind. I want to have a discussion with God about the direction that He gives me because it offends me. But the direction is the direction, and it's not up for discussion. It requires faith trust and obedience. You just got to walk it out. Not always easy. Not always easy. But you see, that's why we have one another. That's why we need one another. That's why the Bible encourages us to exhort one another. That's why it's more important to be apart and together more now than, than ever, I suppose, so that we can encourage one another. Let me tell you something, just as before I go on. Every Monday night, every Monday night, I create at least five excuses why I shouldn't go to outreach. Every Monday night. Every single Monday night. And I used to give in to him now and again. I'd text Tony. Tony say, yeah, all right, mate. And then I'd think, no, this is not right, man. This is not right. Text him back. <laughs> Sorry, Tony. <laughs> I'll be there. I even tried an excuse once. Tone, I can't come this week. I'm going to Jesus Cares. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> he 
just text back, all right, Dave, no problem. I had to text him back, Tony, mate, I'll be there. Jesus cares, got plenty of workers. And you get out. We're not perfect. We've all got our different opinions, haven't we, Dale? Sometimes we, a bit, you know, and it gets a bit tense. And, but you know what? There's one chord that binds us all. A love for Jesus and a desire to win the lost. We're all different. And I'm not saying, listen, everybody join the, the outreach team. Certainly not. This is, I, I'm so proud of my brother-in-law. He's got three successful businesses, right? He's a director with his partner, Stuart, in those businesses. Fantastic businesses, right? And he goes in, right? He's not stupid, right? Cutting fringes like this because he's telling people about Jesus, right? <laughs> no. But he prays for opportunities, he prays for opportunities. He has an expectation, an expectation for Jesus to answer his prayer while people are there. Dave, the opportunities come thick and fast, don't they? And he seizes them. Just pray for the opportunity. Seize it. Seize it. Do you know the, the I, I, I gave my life to Christ in a tent, right? And uh, I remember the day, weeping, 15 years of age, crying, crying. I was convicted of my sin, convicted of it. I felt helpless. I felt hopeless. I felt lost as this man stood up and, and spoke. I, I, I felt awful. And then suddenly he talked about Jesus. And he, 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 he put out a lifeline. And he said, if you want Jesus, put your hand up. <laughs> My hand went. <laughs> My God, a man prayed with me. The cleansing, the joy, the forgiveness. Something happened. I mean, you can't explain it. You all know about it. You can't explain it. That very night, that very night, hours later, I was out telling people about Jesus. They were rejecting me. I didn't even know what to say. I was only a couple of hours old. <laughs> Jesus loves you. Oh, shut up. Je Je Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, wash me. What are you on about? <laughs> I, c I couldn't stop it. And from that very day, from that very day until now, I tell you now, when an opportunity comes, what a joy it is. What a joy it is. It really is. Hallelujah. Jesus didn't open things up for discussion for these men. He just gave them a command. Left. Now they had to make a decision about whether they were going to follow that command and obey it or not. Things weren't open up for discussion. He didn't ask them. Just imagine this for a moment. Where do you think we should meet where do you think we should wait for the promised Holy Spirit? Now, if Jesus had asked that question, I'm sure none of them would have responded 
Jerusalem. I don't think anybody would have put their hands up suggesting Jerusalem because Jerusalem held awful memories for all of them. None of them would have chosen to have gone there because in that city just weeks before, all of them had experienced complete and utter defeat. Yet this city was the very place where Jesus commanded them to go and to wait. And little did they know at the time, but this very city that held such an awful history for all of them would be the very epicenter of Christ's church to await him world. I love, you know, I love how Jesus just disappears the moment he issues that command to them to wait in Jerusalem and not to depart from there. It's amazing. He leaves it right to the last moment after that 40-day period where he had taught so extensively about the kingdom of God, and he tells them, commands them to wait in Jerusalem and not to depart from there and suddenly goes, suddenly disappears. Possibly because he knew the impact that it would have for all of them. The great cost that would be incurred for them to step back into that city that had crucified him. They had crucified the leader that they loved. Surely the followers were on the list too. Jesus was betrayed, denied, tortured, whipped, and beaten publicly by the masses in that city. He carried his cross openly through its streets in shame and in humiliation before a jeering mob. And then Christ Jesus, the Son of God, finally was crucified on the cross that he carried. He was led outside of the city on a common rubbish dump and crucified and killed in shame and pain between two thieves. What an end to a glorious life. Jerusalem, for these disciples, brought up thoughts of shame, pain, danger, and hostility. And in many ways, it could have felt like a direct command to step back into certain death. Wait in Jerusalem was not the news that they were expecting to hear. But this was the very place that they were to go. Possibly because this was the very place that they had experienced such great rejection, hatred, tragedy, and personal defeat. That's why God wanted them to go. One of the reasons possibly why God wanted them to head back to Jerusalem, because they had experienced their greatest defeat there. And now the closing words of Jesus to them was, do not depart from Jerusalem. But wait for the promise of the Father. Returning to Jerusalem would have reminded these men and women of their failures and choices that they were ashamed of. But the amazing thing is, 
No questions were raised from this small group. No arguments broke out. No opinions were voiced or objections made. Luke simply relays their actions by saying in Acts 1 verse 12, listen, it's beautiful, this phrase, then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. Understanding the context of that statement is wonderful. Then they return to Jerusalem. It makes a remarkable point about their complete faith and trust in Him to do exactly what He had said. This is what faith is. This is what obedience requires. Simply doing what He tells us to do. And this is one of the many reasons why this book is called the book of Acts. It's not called the book of good intentions or the book of formulas and theories or the book of nice teaching. It's called the book of Acts for a very good reason. Because men and women acted on the Word of God and turned their world the right way up. Hallelujah. Act on the Word. That's the challenge for all of us. And please, I'm being passionate this morning, and I'm slapping my own head. I'm, I'm slapping my own self up the side of the head. Believe me. It's called the book of Acts, not the book of formulas and theories, because from the outset of chapter 1, before anything had happened, these men and women took action. They took action. Oh, what a wonderful thing it is to see men and women filled with the Word of God, not praying with good intentions, but taking action. Taking action. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The emphasis is on do and strength. I can do I can act, receive power of Holy Ghost to act. And that's what they did for the 30 or so years on every single chapter of that book as you read it. It's wonderful. From the outset, chapter 1, before anything had even happened, these men and women took action to obey the Word of God. Their Lord and Savior Jesus had commanded Oh, my God, they wanted to walk it out. They returned, it says. They positioned themselves to receive the promise of the Holy Spirit in power by faith and obedience. And by returning to the place that Jesus had commanded them to go, they were positioning themselves ready to receive that promise and to be everything that God had designed them to be, the glorious church that was about to come into being. One of the things I think Jesus was doing here when he told them to go back to Jerusalem was that he was using their greatest place of defeat and shame to be transformed into their greatest place of honor and victory. That's what he does. 
don't know if you've noticed that about your life. He takes your greatest point of defeat and shame. People can't do this. People can criticize you. People can judge you. People can, 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 can manhandle you and mistreat you. But it's amazing how God can take your greatest pain and your greatest defeat and turn it into your greatest victory and your greatest triumph. Isaiah put it like this. He turns, he, he uh, sorry, he, he, He gives me beauty for ashes. What is that? That's God taking the disasters of your life and making them beautiful in his hand. Only he could do it. And I think that's what was going on partly, not completely, but partly with these disciples' lives. He was leading them back to their greatest place of defeat and shame and pain and humiliation. And they may have just been going back not knowing what to expect, hiding away in an upper room, not knowing the dimensions of this power and what it was going to achieve in their life and whether they'd ever be able to show their, their face on the street again. Oh, my God, did they show their face on the street? Come Acts chapter 2. He led them to that dark place, that place of defeat and betrayal and murder and hostility and pain because he had a plan to transform it and make it victorious because that's what he does. There's a message in that for all of us, surely. Where's your Jerusalem? Where is it? Where's the place of your greatest defeat? What's that place or life situation that you always skirt around and avoid, even in conversations. You just avoid it. You skirt around it. Or when it, the subject's raised, you just leave the room because it's a hot potato. Are you willing to wait there again to encounter the power of God's Spirit so that He can transform that place of defeat, that place of shame, that place of humiliation? To glorious victory <laughs> by the power of his spirit so that you can be a witness for him so that you can stand up and say, do you know what? Once my life was, was shattered and broken, even as a Christian, but oh, the wonderful power of God's Spirit. His life inside me has brought restoration and, and the years that the locusts have eaten and, and, and all of the, the, the other, other locusts have come and they've devoured me, but the Lord's restored it all. He's restored even the years that have been destroyed in front of me. He's so good. Sometimes God requires it that we visit places like this in our lives so that we can experience new wonderful victory and no longer live under the shadow of defeat. What happened to these disciples in many ways sometimes happens to us with our walk with God. The very things that we fear, try to avoid, He leads us back into moments possibly where we face great pain and loss, defeat and disappointment, he directs us back towards. And God isn't doing that to rub our nose or our face in the shame 
or in the sinful circumstances that were back there. He's doing it because he's got a promise. There's a promise on your head. You're going to meet him there in power of the Holy Spirit. The disciples' greatest defeat may have occurred in Jerusalem, but so did their greatest victories. There they saw God raise Jesus from the dead. Imagine that. Now, I've gone over time a little bit. You're going to have to wait with me this morning because I'm getting this out. Right? We've had Netflix, Disney Plus, right? YouTube. We've had it all week, friends, right? I'm getting this out this morning. And I know you want it. They faced their greatest defeat there, but they encountered their greatest victory. They saw him suspended between heaven and earth, humiliated on a cross, defeated, killed, buried, but they also encountered the resurrected Lord, victorious from the dead in Jerusalem. There they saw and received the power of promise for the Holy Spirit to come into their lives. Where? In Jerusalem. There they would see the emergence of a glorious church. A glorious church. 3,000 saved on the day of Pentecost. And then, you know, uh, the, the, the chapters following record that there's 5,000 now. And then, you know, it goes on a little bit more. And, and they've stopped counting because it's, it's just going off the charts, spilling off the table. And all they could say was the church was multiplying greatly. Hallelujah. Imagine that. All from being obedient to wait where he had commanded. Their place of greatest defeat had become their place of triumph and victory in God. And the church, the New Testament church of Christ started to emerge in power. Wonderful. Taken from shame, humility into a, a great position of power to be witnesses for him. God takes us back sometimes. Remember Moses? He's fantastic, Moses is. He's the number one of the Old Testament. I reckon, I reckon uh, Norma's having a good chat to Barbara, but there, look. I reckon Norma would have been one of Moses' concubines. <laughs> Don't you? That'll stop you chatting in church. <laughs> when the vicar's preaching, when Di the Vic is on the stage preaching from the platform, that'll stop you chatting in church. Have a look at the person next to you. Are they sleeping? I tell you what, some people, I've been preaching here on a Sunday, and some people look like that. And I, I'm thinking, it's probably my sermon. Lord, help me, right? And you know what? I had, a, I had a nightmare a couple of months ago. No word of a lie, right? I pray to God this dream doesn't come true, right? But I have, I have had dreams, and they have come, to true, come true. I had a nightmare a couple of, couple of months ago, right? And while I was preaching to you, I actually fell asleep. <laughs> yeah, I fell asleep, right? And I, I told Faye, I, I, I was so frightened when I woke up. 
right? And really embarrassed, right? Confession is good for the soul, right? And, and midway through preaching, I'd had a good sleep, and then I woke up, right? And I carried on preaching, and I thought, thank God they haven't noticed. Thank God. And I was just in this whole head game. They haven't noticed. They have noticed. They haven't noticed. They have noticed. But praise God. I'm awake this morning. I can't talk about next week, but this morning, thank God, I'm awake. Moses, Moses ran away to Egypt after trying to protect one of his countrymen trying to bring in God's purpose and plan for their lives. He used his own strength. He failed terribly, and he ran away to the wilderness, never wanting to return. He felt terrible. He was rejected by the ones that should have loved him. We all make mistakes. We reject those. We all commit sin. We reject those that we should love. We reject those that we should help. And that's where Moses was. The very people that he loved, that he was passionate about, turned on him. And as a result of that sharp word that came from a brother's mouth, he ran for his life. He ran to the wilderness, never wanting to go back. Yet a broken, crushed man who couldn't string a sentence together. See, God's work is mysterious. The very time that you would have thought, you and I would have thought that God would have used him, would have been in Egypt when he was mighty. Acts tells us he was mighty in word. The book of Acts, from the mouth of Stephen. He says, Moses was mighty in word and deed. Mighty in word and deed. He had it all together. He was powerful. He was strong. He was at the top of his game. The top of his game. That's the time God's going to use you. That's the time where you're going to have influence over a nation. That's the time where you're going to have power in Pharaoh's court. You can speak good. You can speak strong. You're mighty in word. And not only that, you can, you can do the stuff. You can do the business. But God doesn't need it in your own strength. We may have thought that that's the time that God would use Moses. But no, he went to the wilderness. He ran away in personal defeat. And the very time where he couldn't string a sentence together, God turned up at a burning bush and said, now's the time, boy. You're going back to Egypt. Just like Jesus said to the disciples, you're going back to Jerusalem. And Moses said, no. No, I'm not. I'm staying here. I'm not going back there. I don't like them and they don't like me. And anyway, I can't talk. It's all right. I'll let Aaron do the talking for you. Back he went to his place of greatest defeat. And that very place, that very place became the place of his greatest victory. 
as he led out more than two million people through an open sea to their promised land and released them from 400 years of slavery. Your greatest point of defeat can become your greatest place in victory in God. I'm going to leave it there. I've got, I've got a little bit more. We can, we can, a little bit more to say on, on that before we go into Acts chapter 2. But I, I'm going to leave it there because we, we, we've gone over time. Thank you for that. Thank you for allowing me just to get as far as I, I got this morning. I appreciate that. I'm going to ask James to come and the musicians and we're going to sing. Listen, I've been passionate this morning, and I've spat a lot, and, um, but I just pray that uh, the Holy Spirit has impressed upon your heart as He's impressed upon my heart about our need just to receive Him in His fullness, in His power, to be witnesses, to be witnesses. The power of the Holy Spirit is intrinsically attached to our calling to witness for Christ. You can't separate them. You can't cut them apart. No. You're going to receive power. You've received power of Holy Ghost to be a witness in your world for Christ. And um, as weeks go on, maybe we'll talk about this a little bit more. But it's a wonderful, wonderful job. Listen, don't, don't feel pressured now. After a word like this, right? Feel encouraged, right? Don't feel condemned, right? We've all failed at telling people about Jesus. Remember on the bike one night, I told you about this, right? Going up the mountain, there was a man in a, in a van. And as I passed him, I started to talk with him. Just generally, he was a security guard, guarding some equipment, heavy equipment, because they were doing tree felling on the mountain that I ride on. So we were having a great conversation. And gently, the Holy Spirit whispered to me, Dave, why don't you just go ahead and tell him about Jesus? And I ignored it. I ignored it. So we, we've all failed, you see. Right? There's been times where we've all failed. Why don't you go ahead and tell him about Jesus? And I rode off. I rode off, you see. And as I was riding off from the man, I said to the Holy Spirit, I said, Holy Spirit, I'm really sorry for not telling that man about you about Jesus. Do you know what the Holy Spirit said? He didn't say, that's okay, Dave. Apology accepted. Okay? See, we're talking about somebody's life here. We're talking about a divine appointment that we need to take hold of. Right? He didn't say, that's okay, Dave. He said, sorry is not good enough. He said, you've left a man that I've been working on, that I've brought across your path. You've left him and you've not told him about me. 
I rode on. The next, you know, as I, as, I went, as I went on my ride, I said, Lord, please forgive me. Will you give me another chance? Okay. Three days later, there's the van. There's the man. I thought, he's having it. He's having it. Knocked the window. He was from, he was from Neath, he was. He was a bouncer, big guy. Really hard nap. And he knew some really hard guys that I knew in Merthyr. And I said, did you know such and such Morgan in Merthyr? He was a nutter, he was. Yeah, I put him on the floor in the pub, he said. He was a hard guy. So, um, wound the window down. I said, you know, I think, I, I think his name was, let's call him John, right? I said, John, I said, you know what? I have a, an apology to make to you. What's that, Dave? I said, listen, I said, you know, I said, look, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I go to church. And I said, you know, I said, I should have told you about Jesus the other night. I had this little voice inside. I told him the full deal, right? Just get it out of the table. I said, I should have told you, mate, and I didn't. I said, I said, can I tell? And I told him about Jesus. I said, listen, John, I said, I'd love to pray a prayer. I'd love to pray a prayer with you. I said, asking Jesus into your heart. He said, I, I'd like that too. Right now, a hardened guy. Oh, man, the joy. I cannot explain. You know what it's like when somebody does that. The joy, the joy. You see, he'll take you from your place of defeat and shame and pain, and he'll lead you all the way back to that point, like he did with me, with that man, right? And he'll make it your place of triumph and victory. He receives Christ, right? I said, I said to him, I said, John, I'm going on holiday for two weeks now. I said, are you going to be here in two weeks? Yes, he said. he said. I said, mate, I said, I'll have a Bible for you. I'd like one. I haven't got a Bible. I said, mate, I got a special Granny's Ring Biker's Edition Bible. I said, I'd love you to have one. Oh, I'd like that, he said. Two weeks later, what a joy. Bible in hand. And off John went to Neath. And I told him, I said, John, listen. Go to a church, mate. Just get in a church. Get with God's people. It don't matter if they sing hymns. It don't matter, mate. It don't matter if it's packed full of old people. Who cares? If they love Jesus and they're meeting in his name, just get in there. And you know what? He said, I will. He said, he said I'd like to go down the pub for a few. He said, but he said, is it all right? I said, hi. I said, well, you can tell the pub about Jesus. Can I? Yeah, you can do it. It's an adventure serving the King. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for all of the wonderful testimonies that we have about telling others about you. Whether, whether we're rejected or whether we're accepted, we understand that it's all part of the journey. It's all part of the work of a laborer in the harvest. Not everybody accepts laborers, uh, but some do. Some, some really get, give laborers a hard time and they reject them and, and, Lord, they alienate them. But we accept it. 
We are laborers in the harvest. And Lord, we thank you that you send us out again this week into a waiting world that wants to hear the good news of the gospel and, and to know you as their Savior. So Lord, we pray, I pray right now for all of your people that they would have a magnificent week of winning the lost for Christ Jesus, of encouraging them, of knowing the power of your Holy Spirit, not to do weird things, but just to stand confidently and boldly and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of your resurrection. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand to our feet and give him a big giant shout of praise. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised.